following audio is from St Nick's Durham. As a church, we exist to love God, love people and love Durham. We hope that this sermon will serve you well as a supplement to your regular Bible reading, prayer and participation in your local church. For more information about St Nick's Durham, directions or resources, please visit stnicks.org.uk. Our first reading is from the book of Acts, starting at the beginning of chapter 9. The disciples have been in Jerusalem and many scattered beyond that when we pick up the reading. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The Gospel reading is taken from John chapter 21. John chapter 21. The disciples have met with Jesus twice in, in a room. Afterwards, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. And they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat. But that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, do you not have any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off, and jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in a boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from the shore, about a hundred meters. When they landed, they saw a fire burning, a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you've just caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153, but even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. 
Jesus came, took the bread and gave it to them, and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus had appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they'd finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning. Let's pray. Jesus, Word of God, by your Spirit, come and be with us and help us to know you better in our thinking and our prayers this morning. Amen. So will you imagine that you get a text from a friend after a hard day's work and it says, come to the beach, I've got a barbecue ready. You drive straight there and getting out of the car, you see the food already on the grill, you're relaxing already. Do you want to just sort of relax into that feeling for a moment? And as you approach, you detect a wonderful smell of charcoal, you know that smell? And roasting fish. Uh, you're getting the flavor of John's Gospel, chapter 21 now. But it's all a bit of a surprise because if you look back just at the top of the page, if you've got your Bible open there at page 1090, um, it seems as if the curtain has closed for the last time in this gospel. Thomas has said to Jesus, the risen Jesus, my Lord and my God. That seems like a pretty good ending point. And John, the author, has said, look, this is why I wrote this book. But then there's a whole chapter more. And it's as if John is saying, whatever you've noticed so far, get it in the right perspective before I finish. You've seen the signs, especially the fact that Jesus is raised, and you've had enough pointers to convince you that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, I think, says John. But don't stop there. What's it like to be a follower after you've become a believer? And we can imagine John saying, have you felt the hard grip of Jerusalem as a place? There's been scene after scene of altercation between Jesus and the authorities in the temple. 
There's been a rigged trial. There's been a barbaric execution. There's been scared disciples behind locked doors. There's a lot of tension there. Is there never going to be any retreat from the pressure? And, says John, did you spot all those meals? A wedding at Cana, trouble with the wine. 5,000 people gathered together. Nobody thought to bring a picnic. A dinner held in Jesus' honor. All that fuss about pouring perfume on his feet. The Last Supper and the bombshell where Jesus says, one of you is going to betray me. A long succession of meals that Jesus has with his disciples parading through John's gospel. But there's lots of tension there. Now says John, what about this meal? So this is the time we have a picture up. Does the technology cope with it? Yes. In stereo. Look at it with both eyes. A surprise breakfast and a memorable day. I'm sure the seven disciples who went fishing talked a lot about it afterwards. It's a classic fisherman's tale. You get back to your family and you shout, do you know how many fish I, we, we caught? 153, we counted them. But it's not just about the catch, it's also about a very special encounter with Jesus. So this fisherman's tale goes on. We were fed up after fishing all night and getting nothing. But then Jesus restored our dignity. With his help, we came to shore with a bulging net. And he had breakfast cooking. What a meal. I'd never seen him so relaxed, down-to-earth, approachable, even after going through death and coming out the other side. So unlike most of them, this fisherman's tale would be less of a boast and more of an expression of gratitude. I wonder how this all strikes you. I wonder whether you're a surprise breakfast sort of person. Can you imagine that there are times when there's nothing in particular that Jesus wants you to do? You're just getting on with whatever is your everyday life, and the only thing that he wants is for it to be rewarding for you. He suggests, why not try here rather than there? Bring whatever you've got and spend some time with me. So I think the first important point for me that comes out of this passage is that being a follower of Jesus means letting him treat you as a friend. Speaking personally, I don't find it difficult to put myself in the position of somebody who's Jesus' servant. I can do service, but Jesus as a friend feels something quite different. And that's what this passage is pointing towards. But it has more to give, and we can also see two particular disciples coming to the fore. So let's have a look at them. One of them you can't miss, and that's Peter. He's the first to speak. It's his idea to go fishing, and he leaps out of the boat to get to Jesus ahead of the others. And we think to ourselves, ooh, soggy clothes. <laughs> Peter's never a person who relaxes much. And each time the risen Jesus has joined the disciples so far, there's been an elephant in the room, which is that Peter has disowned Jesus not long before. So will you put yourself in Peter's shoes for a moment? 
Jesus is risen and what's all this waiting around for something to happen? Got to keep busy. Need some time by myself to think. Fishing. Oh no, they're all coming with me. Jesus on the shore. The elephant's still there, but let's get this sorted and into the water he goes. So dripping with water and face to face with Jesus, what would you be wanting to say? Forgive me, I guess, although we're not told. And Jesus surely does that. There's, there's certainly plenty of time for that while the boat gets to shore with the catch of fish. But perhaps Peter doesn't realize that reconciliation, which is about rebuilding a relationship, takes longer. The elephant in the room is gone, but the room still needs rearranging. So now it's Jesus who takes the initiative, and he knows that some things are best dealt with not face to face, but side by side. Simon, son of John, do you love me? Three times for three denials that Jesus made in the courtyard. What's going on there? I, I think it's hard in our culture for us to imagine that question, do you love me, being asked except in the context of a romantic relationship. It's what you say when you've been convinced so far that someone's in love with you, but you're starting to doubt it. You want reassurance. You say, do, do you love me? But that's not what's happening here. Jesus doesn't need the answer to the question for himself. He knows perfectly well what the state of Peter's heart is. And when Jesus says love, he means a mixture of good friendship and acting so as to help the other person flourish. So Jesus is asking the question for Peter's benefit because Peter isn't sure about the state of his own heart. He doesn't know whether he'll ever be a trustworthy friend to Jesus again. But the start of a recommitment in a relationship is saying out loud something. Yes, Lord, I do love you. How do you reassure a man who's as uncertain of himself as Peter is here? I think the answer is that you offer him a vocation and you offer him a destiny. Jesus says to him, feed my sheep. And now Peter knows that he's trusted to be able to care for others, to imitate Jesus, the great shepherd. Jesus says, when you're old, you will be mistreated. And now Peter knows that even the way he ends his life can be a way of imitating Jesus. Genuine bravery, not just bravado. And after this, as we read in the rest of the Bible, we know that Peter will thrive because he's being given just what he needs. What he needs is responsibility and a chance not to wilt next time. So I wonder whether you're a Peter sort of person. Do you need to have things to do? You're the sort of person who jumps straight in, you speak up quickly, you sometimes make rash promises. And John 21 says Jesus has a place for someone like that. 
with the capacity to lead and the capacity to look after lots, look after lots of other people. So that's Peter, but there is another disciple who stands out from the pack, but in a much more gentle sort of way. He's the sort of person who might easily go unnoticed. So should we just call him, what's his name? All he does is to say, it is the Lord. And in verse 7, he's called the disciple, that disciple whom Jesus loved. Interesting phrasing there, but it's happened three times before, so we already know something about what's-his-name. What's-his-name we know was at the Last Supper. Interestingly there, he said just three words as well. He said, who is it? Meaning, who's going to betray you, Jesus? And then he kept his mouth shut. If he'd let on who it was, the other disciples would never have let Judas out of the door. So we know that as far as Jesus is concerned, what's-his-name can be trusted with a confidence. That's the sort of person he is. What's-his-name was at the cross. He was standing there in silent support for Jesus as he hung there dying. And Jesus gave him a vocation too, which was, look after my mother. So we know that Jesus trusts what's-his-name with a very precious sort of relationship. What's-his-name was at the tomb. He was the one that peered in, looked at the grave clothes, and could tell just by the way they were lying what had happened. Jesus had been raised. So what's-his-name comes across as someone who can see what other people might easily miss. And now, finally, here he is in this boat, near enough the shore to hear somebody calling, too far to see a face clearly, but that man on the shore knows where all the fish are. And from that, what's-his-name recognizes in a flash? It is the Lord. So we know actually quite a bit from John's Gospel about what's-his-name, but who is he? The fourth time round, John the author is still not letting on. There's a choice of six people in that boat, two of them are not even given a name, and so it's an open field. But I think there's already been a big hint. If you turn back quite a few pages to John chapter 11, we met a disciple who's clearly very close to Jesus. And we read that Mary and Martha sent a message to Jesus, the one you love is ill. And this person, Lazarus, then dies. Jesus weeps at his tomb. And the onlookers say, see how much he loved him. There's a disciple that Jesus loved. So what's his name is Lazarus. If you want to know more about that, you're going to have to ask me about it afterwards. The point is that at each time this disciple is deliberately not named, we should first of all notice what sort of person he is. It's less important than who he is. What sort of a person is this? So my third bit of wondering is whether or not you're a what's-his-name sort of person. Perhaps you're the sort of person that doesn't say much, the sort of person who spots what other people miss. You intuitively understand what's important. And John 21 says that Jesus has a place for somebody like that. Someone who doesn't need to hog the limelight, who will speak up at important moments, 
and who could be dedicated to looking after just one precious person. So there we are, we've got seven disciples all in the same boat. Each is needing to shape up what it now means to be a follower of Jesus. Yes, Jesus is my Lord, the Son of God, I believe that, and what now? And the what now that Jesus offers is a continuing friendship. And within that friendship, he sees who each of them is, he knows what each of them can be, if they follow him. So each of them has a vocation and a destiny. And as I look around us here today in St. Nick's, I think we're all a fairly mixed bunch, but we're all, metaphorically speaking at any rate, in the same boat because we need Jesus. And whatever sort of person you are, perhaps today is a time to relax. Look at the pictures. And let Jesus show you how you in particular can be his valuable friend. May that be so. Thank you for listening to the St. Nick's Durham podcast. If you'd like to hear more sermons and teaching like this, then subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about St. Nick's, visit our website at stnicks.org.uk.